Well, good evening. I know I already said it once, but I'll say it again. We are really, really glad that you're here. It does my heart well to see so many families filling our building today. And uh, again, we are honored by your presence. You know, we are continuing our series on Advent. We've looked at hope, peace, joy, and love. Tonight, we're going to finish, I should say, by looking at love. You know, love is unique in Christ's gifts because he came to bring us hope. He came to deliver peace. He came that we might experience joy, and he came so that we would know what love is, but love is actually the motivation behind why he came. And so while all the other things are, are these gifts that we receive uh, just by uh, being in relationship with him, it's actually love that motivated him to come down to the earth and to bless us really with his presence. And so I'm excited to talk about that tonight. If it gets too cold out there, somebody feel free to turn the heat back on. Uh, this morning it was like a sauna and I lost roughly 16 pounds. And I, <laughs> I almost passed out. Uh, so I turned the air on because our building's full and it was getting stuffy again. And uh, don't wanna pass out in front of you uh, because I'm afraid of who might try to give me CPR. So. <laughs> With that being said, I'm excited to dive in, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Now, I think, again, my opinion, but I think that the greatest gift that any one of us could ever receive is Christ. I know it's my opinion. I'll admit to that, but it's an opinion that I'm pretty bullish on. It's something that I'm not willing to budge on uh, really at all. Now, by definition, a gift is something that must be given. In the Gospel of John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, if you have a memory verse in your arsenal that you have memorized, chances are this might be it, right? It's either this one or John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept, or both, right? We like the two-word verse. We know that this one packs a punch. It's one that we're taught from a really young age, right? And so chances are if you have a memory verse memorized, this is it. And if you really aren't the church type, uh, and you maybe haven't heard a lot of scripture in your life, chances are that you've heard this verse as well. And I think that that's with good reason. But I also think that because we hear it so often, because it has become part of our Christian dialect from when we first get introduced to church, it is possible for us to, in some ways, become numb to what's being said to us in John 3.16. And so what I want to do tonight is a little bit of exegesis. This morning we got science-y. Uh, today we're going to get theology-y. -e. <laughs> Didn't have a better word. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. We're going to break it down, and we're going to look at exactly what it's saying to us. Now, first and foremost, I know this might be obvious, but it makes clear to us that Christ was given. God gave him to us. He gave his son. And as I already mentioned, a gift by definition must be given. And so Christ himself meets the definition of a gift. Secondly, God's gift was given in love. It was given in love. So he gave us this gift. He gave this gift to us because he loves us. Now, if we look at the original Greek, and I realize that a lot of you probably haven't studied the original Greek, so I guess you're going to have to trust me, but Google's a great source. You can look it up later. But if we look in the original Greek, the two words that we translated into the words gave and the words love are both written in what we call an aorist active indicative tense. What does that mean? Nothing to you. But here's what I will tell you that it means. It indicates 
Actions undefined by time that are present and future occurring. And that's important. You see, when they wrote things in Greek, they wrote it a specific way to send a message that we wouldn't get just by reading it. And so if we just read this verse, we miss out on some of the heavy hitting stuff that's inside of it. So I'm going to say it again. Again, it's aorist active indicative tense. It indicates actions undefined by time that are present and future occurring. This means that God's love for you, his gift to you expressed in Christ isn't limited by space or time. I think that's pretty cool. If you're a Star Trek fan or you're a Star Wars fan or you're any of those sci-fi fans, God just outdid you. It's pretty cool. His love, the gift that he gave us in Christ, it is undefined by space or time. And it's for all, the Greek word there, pas, meaning all, literally meaning every kind of, all sorts of, the whole. The gift is for every person. It excludes no one. And it has an eternal time guarantee that whoever believes in the Son will experience this gift. And just so there's no doubt about Christ's willingness to serve in this capacity, because again, we talked about the definition of a gift means that it has to be given, right? Which means that Christ couldn't do this under compulsion. He couldn't be forced into it. It couldn't be done against his will. He tells us in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. See in Christ, I think that we witness the greatest gift that the world has ever seen. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, which is exactly what Christ did for us. Directly before this statement, in verse 12, he tells us to love one another as he has loved us. Directly after this statement, in verse 14, Christ expresses that we are his friends when we obey his commands. Greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friends. We are his friends when we do as he commands, and he commands us to love one another as he has loved us. And that is the importance of the gift of Christ. That is the blessing that we receive on Christmas. That's why we celebrate. That's why we do everything that we do. Jesus is the reason for the season. Pretty cool, huh? I thought about singing Happy Birthday, Jesus. I'm not going to do that. Caitlin beat me with the hippopotamus song. So uh, Jesus outweighs the hippopotamus, I know. But high-pitched kid voices only work once in a service, I've been told. Now, the love of Christ. If we're to love others as Christ has loved us, it's important to know exactly what that means. The love of Christ focuses on sacrifice and servitude. The love of Christ focuses on sacrifice and servitude. You see, I think that if we call ourselves a Christian, we have an obligation to love others. But really, if we're a Christian, it's no obligation at all. It's not something that we feel that we necessarily have to be commanded to do. It's not something we feel forced into. It's not something that God has to twist our arm to accomplish. Because we know the love of Christ and have experienced it, we feel the compulsion to love others. And that to me is what I think Christmas is all about. 
It's about loving others. Love, sacrifice, forgiveness. Jesus, as I already said, was and is the reason for the season. And these things were his reasons. These were his reasons. He came because he loved us. He came that we might have hope. He came that we might experience peace. He came so that we would know joy. And so tonight, as we're kind of getting close to wrapping up, I want to leave you with this. I want to tell you that you are loved by God. You are loved by God. And I hope that this isn't the first time you're hearing it. I hope that this isn't something that you haven't heard in a long time. I hope it's really something that you experience all the time. But if it's not, I want you to know this. You are loved by God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-12 through 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for this love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, big word that means literal payment, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You know, that last verse there, I find always to be one that's powerful and interesting. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, we're told that God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And I think that in this verse, we're being told that when we love others like Christ loved others, they get to see God through us. And I don't deserve to be a part of that equation. And I love each and every one of you here, whether you know me or not, but I'm going to be honest with you, not real sure you deserve to be a part of that equation either. And yet, God loves us so much that he sees the value in us and can use us in all of our imperfection to show the world exactly who he is. One of the reasons that I think that people fail to believe that they are loved by God is that they haven't been loved by God's people. I'm going to say it again. One of the reasons that people fail to believe that they have been loved by God, that they are loved by God, is that they haven't been loved by God's people. I'm going to be blunt. I'm going to be pretty straightforward with you tonight. If we know God, we will love others. If we know God, we will love others. All others. The whole. Every kind of. All. And we will love all others all the time. Even when they don't deserve it. Now, this doesn't mean that we accept sin. Doesn't mean that. This doesn't mean that we put ourselves in dangerous situations. It doesn't mean that we don't love ourselves and set healthy boundaries. It does mean that we genuinely desire others to experience and be changed by the love of God. 
That's what it means. That's what it means to love others like God loved others. To see that in spite of their imperfection and their failures and their sin, there is a God who is powerful enough. There is a God who is able. There is a God who can change all things, even the dirtiest of sinners' hearts. I want to be clear to everyone here that the failure of sinful people is not the failure of a loving God because God loves you so much so that he offered the propitiation, the literal payment for your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ while you were still sinners. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In my mind, this is like paying full price for a totaled vehicle. I saw some, this is funny because I, I had written this uh, earlier this week as I was kind of thinking about what to compare it to. And today I saw on Facebook Marketplace, there was a guy down in Arkansas that was trying to sell a 2,000, uh, 2,500 Ram that had been completely totaled for five grand. And I thought to myself, welcome to Arkansas, right? Like, I mean, if this isn't the Midwest, I don't know what is, right? Like, somebody's going to pay it too. Somebody's going to buy that truck and drag it away in their Volkswagen. I don't know. But uh, that's what it's like. I mean, it's, it would literally be like paying full price for a total car. That's what Christ did for us. And I don't know why he did that for us, but I do know that he deemed us worthy of that type of love. Not just us, but all others. And so that means he deemed others worthy of that type of love. And we must see others as worthy of that type of love and have the confidence to also know that we are worthy of that type of love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. His arms are open. He is expectantly waiting, and he's waiting for you. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now in this moment today, Lord, and I am just so thankful that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who loves us in spite of the fact that we don't always deserve love. And God, that's hard for us to comprehend because a lot of us, most of us, probably all of us, put contingencies on love. We love when it's convenient. We love when we have been unharmed. We love when it's easy. God, you loved us while we were still sinners. You loved us while we were broken and imperfect. You died for us in the hope that we might come to know you and your way of life and that we might come to know your Father and be forgiven of our sins. And that's available to each and every one of us. I mean, it's hard to comprehend because, God, that's not how our world works. Forgiveness isn't always there to be had, even if it should be. It's not. So, Lord, I pray for each and every individual here today. I pray first and foremost, God, that they see their worth, that they see that they are worthy of your love for no other reason than that you said that that is so. I pray that they see the worth in others. Even those that we don't want to love. The Bible tells us that it's easy to love those who love us. It's hard to love those that hate us. 
It's even harder to love those that we despise. God, you came down. You left heaven. You left the right side of the Father. You left glory to be hated, to be rejected, to be despised, to be unesteemed, to be murdered. You were born to die. And yet you came willingly. God gave his one and only son. And as we give gifts here in the upcoming days, and as some of us have already given gifts, sometimes gifts that the people that we are giving them to don't deserve, God, I pray that we would think about the gift that's available to all of us, the gift that so many of us can say that we've received the gift of salvation, the gift of relationship with Jesus Christ. If there's anybody out here this evening, God, that doesn't know you, that hasn't committed themselves to a life of following Jesus, I pray that you would convict them of that tonight. And that tonight they'll receive the best Christmas gift that they've ever gotten in their life. The love of the Father, the payment of the Son, and forgiveness that they don't receive, that they don't deserve. I ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to worship. And uh, I'm going to actually stand in the back. If there is anybody that has a need for prayer, I would love to pray with you. I mean that. Uh, It's actually my favorite part about being a pastor is getting to pray with people for whatever reason they need prayer for. So if you need prayer, come see me. Otherwise, we're just going to stand and and be with family and be with God and uh, feel his presence.